Altitude's undefeated. Crap, we will punch it up, whatever it was in. Not a huge fan of it, I don't know where I was going. I don't think I was running and starting to talk to someone. I don't know what I was doing. I tell you what, Matt, we don't get much by you, that's for sure. Hello, Colorado Rapids fans. You are listening to Holding the High Line with Rabbi and Red. My name is Matt Pollard, and it is Tuesday, May 16th, 2023. Ethan Horvath of Highlands Ranch, Colorado, is headed to Wembley as Luton Town are going to the Premier League promotion playoff final. The Rapids got punked by the Blue Collar Workers, and it's officially RSL Hate Week, or RSL Double Hate Week. Uh, I'm joined now by a man who didn't choose Rapids Thug Life. Rapids Thug Life chose him, Rabbi Mark Goodman. Matt, Matt, were you ever on the Thug Cast? Did you hear, did you, do you remember the Thug Cast? I do not, I do not have... Uh, I was never on the Thugcast. I do not remember the Thugcast in that I watched it while it happened and everything. I am I became aware of and then listened to the Thugcast after the Thugcast ceased to exist. We are talking about the C38 podcast that preceded the podcast that was before this podcast that was before another podcast. If I'm not mistaken, this is like this was like the original podcast. I'm not even sure the word podcast existed yet. Um, when they, I think maybe it did, but like we're talking C38 had a podcast that was short lived before it, um, before it Flaco glossed before the Colorado Rapids had a podcast with, uh, Richard Fleming and Marcelo Balboa before we started up and now there's DNVR. So anyways, that's, that's, and now we've had a complete history of all the podcasts. Anyways. Um, yeah. Um, how are you doing, Matt? You, Matt said he had a long day at work and. Uh, I, I can relate yesterday was a long day at work for me. Um, you know, it, the hardest thing for me, Matt, about a long day of work on a Monday is that there's like Monday is the one dead spot in the week where there's like no soccer whatsoever. So there's nothing to come home to crack open a beer and watch, except in my case, um, replays of the Colorado Rapids game to see like what exactly went wrong. But we'll get to that later. Yes, no, I hear you on that, Rabbi. So um, I had a bunch of meetings and just multiple things going down. We recently redid our org chart, just like the Rapids front office, Rabbi, which was fun and exciting in many, many ways. Um, it was a, <clears throat> it was productive in a lot of ways. It was a lot of wasted time arguing about semantics of positions and people needing to feel important, which I don't think is a good use of my time, but corporate America going to corporate America. And the other thing that came about is a project deadline is coming up that's going to require some in-person stuff out in Palm Springs, California. And Mark, there's like a 94% chance I'll need to be in Palm Springs all of next week, which will make me unavailable to be in attendance in person for the, I guess, the second of the two game series that the Rapids have coming up against RSL. And the first uh, Open Cup game uh, between Rocky Mountain opposition, Rocky Mountain Cup opposition since 2007, if I remember that stat correctly but rabbi speaking of podcast origins and everything i still have a very vivid memory of your basement from your place back on lincoln on close to south broadway 
And in there, in that basement, Mark had a wonderful couch and a wonderful table and great acoustics and everything. And it also had a bunch of posters or pictures of the Showtime Lakers. Listeners, we don't like to broadcast this. We don't think it's a big deal. I feel like our Colorado and our Rapids credentials and chops are well proven by the <clears throat> the effort and the energy and the fervor with which we put into soccer in the Centennial State. But Mark, you and I are both originally from the Valley of Los Angeles. I had a college app. Uh, one of the universities that I applied to <clears throat> for undergrad had their um, had their interview process regionally, actually at your old high school that I found out years later, obviously. And you had posters of the Showtime Lakers. You and I, regardless of the age difference that we have, have a significant generational difference, have a more significant generational difference than age number of years difference when it comes to Los Angeles sportsdom because you were physically physically at the Kirk Gibson home run in the World Series. I was not yet born. Um, I was not yet in the works from my parents. And you obviously have conscious memories of Showtime. And I am barely old enough to remember the old and possibly AIDS-positive, HIV-positive version of Magic Johnson that was closing out his career with the Lakers. Mark, we're currently podcasting, and it's into the fourth quarter of the Western Conference Finals. The Nuggets are up by a large number that I don't want to look back at and try and calculate. Mark, I'm pretty. I think that AD and LeBron are really tired. I think Nikola Jokic is the best player in the NBA right now. He's the best player left in the playoffs. I have Nuggets in six, and I am at peace with this. And nothing in this playoffs will surprise nor disappoint me, so long as the Boston Celtics do not win their 17th ring before the Lakers do. Yeah, uh, uh, I guess I'll just throw a couple ideas at you. One is um, when I was a kid, when I was in like fifth grade and sixth grade um the la lakers had t-shirts printed up that you could buy all over that said three pete with a question mark on it or maybe it was an exclamation mark and there were these like really silly um caricatures of like um pat riley and kurt rambus and kareem and all the guys um now of course the lakers would go on to not three pete they would it was kind of like the shirt was like a jinx. They only won two. But the funny thing was they invented the word three-peat and then they didn't do it. So that's like one of my enduring memories of, of the Lakers. Another thing was as a kid, um, I didn't really love the Lakers. And the reason was they were too good. There was like nothing to root for in the sense that the Lakers dominating the NBA back in those days when I was in elementary school was inevitable. They were, you know, absolutely like Thanos with the snap. Like, they were just dominant. Um, and I only came, I kind of, like, when they, I kind of came back around to loving the Lakers after, you know, a few years of them not being as dominant. And then, you know, I kind of, I, I kind of liked them in the Kobe years, uh, but it took a while to get over Kobe's, um, shall we say, Various controversies, professional mal, uh, professional and moral malfeasance. Um, so, um, so yeah, my relationship with the Lakers has always been a little bit complicated. But I will say one other thing, which is um, the um, the most famous person in my neighborhood growing up was Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. He's the bassist. He used to drive a nineteen seventy five Mercedes Benz diesel, where every panel of the car was painted with a different rainbow color. And he'd drive down the street and you'd, you know, throw up your hand and go, flee! And he'd throw his hand out the car and wave back at us. Um, 
And so we were always big Flea fans. And um, the Red Hot Chili Peppers are like the house band for the city of Los Angeles. You know, like the uh, Under the Bridge is like the unofficial national anthem of Los Angeles. And um, Flea and Anthony Kiedis are like the biggest Laker fans you ever saw. Like Flea is always tweeting about the Lakers. So I'm a Lakers fan, if only because I don't like seeing fellow Los Feliz resident Flea sad. Also, quick side story, which may be totally irrelevant and lame, but I think it's interesting. Um, uh, There's a a musical conservatory in the Los Feliz neighborhood called the Silver Lake Conservatory. Um, And everyone in my family uh, was in it. They were in my my sisters were both in the choral. My stepdad was uh, was a musician for them. He played um, mandolin and my mom was also she she played uh, and sang in the in the chorus. And one time my stepdad, my mom and my sister were doing a trio um, where they played a song together in a in a winter recital. Um, And the next act up was this kid who he played the bass and Flea, who is the main benefactor of the Silver Lake um, Conservatory, played the trumpet and um, they got up. And by the way, it was it was Christmas time. So he was dressed like Santa Claus. Um, So I can say legitimately that my mom opened for Flea. All right. That's pretty cool, Mark. Um, I think so. That's why I like the Lakers. But I, I do think you're right. I think the the. The Nuggets are probably gonna kind of take it. I think six is a good is a good bet here. Yes, and Rabbi, it's fitting for you saying that you were not as into the Lakers because they were winners. Because of course, we both care about the Colorado Rapids as opposed to the I'd say historically the Galaxy. Obviously, now more recently, uh, Los Angeles Football Club. But listeners, World Soccer Talk has is reporting uh, that Apple TV will be launching or maybe already has launched the um, a one month free trial that they have, and you can start at any time between now. And then so then you have your one month free trial and then you start paying you so you can start that between now and um, October. Uh, And uh, Mark, this is interesting from a timing standpoint. There's been a lot of albeit relatively unconfirmed numbers about where we are from Apple TV, MLS uh, subscriptions and whether or not they are relatively low, whether or not the price point is a concern, whether or not the price point relative to a lot of fans who only want teams a team specific option and therefore are fans of their particular team and not necessarily greater MLS fans that theory also jives with some of the data that we had even going back to last year and years prior about MLS national TV broadcasts and there being evidence that a not insignificant number of MLS fans do not watch their team on the road in some cases some markets were it was very difficult for those fans to watch their team on the road we won't be we don't need to go into you know, don't block my altitude or anything. And there's a, a overall a lot of data out there that, you know, your standard sporting Kansas City fan does not care about New England Revolution at New York Red Bulls on Sunday in the middle of the day on Fox and Alexi Lawless is yelling stuff and John Strong and Stuart Holden are behind a rinky dink like public access stage that you have there where they're calling the game and everything. And so 
Uh, this has me concerned, Rabbi, because I think if you do this at the beginning of the year at the, or at the beginning of the season, I think it makes sense. Like when, Mark, when have you been like three or four months into a service and it's like, hey, we're doing this kind of promotion? I think on some level, this is an indication that they're trying to drum up further subscriptions. A lot of subscription models also kind of rely on people hopping on free trials, getting disinterested, and then just not checking their credit card balance at the end of the month. So they keep collecting that as well. And Rabbi, this overall kind of has me a general concern concern that I've had that I don't know that I've explicitly said on the podcast, so I've talked around it. I think MLS is still largely built from a financial standpoint based on the potential or where it's going, not necessarily where it is. And I think a lot of people in suits at some MLS clubs and at the front office think that the league is bigger than it's in. Bearing in mind, this time last year, listeners, in national broadcasts on weekends for ESPN, there were games where the WNBA was outdrawing Cascadia Cup and everything. Rabbi, your thoughts on this? And more importantly, do we want a refund of a month of uh, MLS season play? Us because obviously, you know, clearly they're giving it out for free now, and we got it at the beginning of the season when it was, you know, 99 bucks. Nah, because I was always uh, using my VPN back in the day to get around certain things, which also was quote unquote a, a nefarious discount. It's interesting to me, Matt, that you're worried about the finances of Apple, you know, a giant mega corporation which, um, you know, has been making like boondoggle windfall profits. Um, they're they're definitely a big function of my retirement portfolio, um, so I, I I do care that Apple doesn't lose too much money because I'd like to retire someday, Matt. Um, yeah, I, I I think the 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 complicated math that you're talking about is the TV deal which Apple has signed with MLS locks them into payments to MLS every year, but clearly Apple doesn't feel like they're getting their money's worth. So they're trying to figure out a way to recoup. My take is that their original sin here is as much as you said, Matt, that SKC fans don't want to sit around and watch Revs games, you know, New England Revolution games. I don't think the league uh, has set itself up in the model of like the NFL or in the model of the EPL in the way they broadcast games. My only complaint, and maybe this isn't the main problem, is that they're timing all the games, you know, one after another. Like, if you're an NFL fan, you can turn to your spouse, friends, partner, you know, buddies and say, we're going to watch the 10 a.m. game, the noon game, the 2 p.m. game, and the 6 p.m. game, right? We're just going to go all the way through. We're going to order a pe- order pizzas. We're going to get soft pretzels. Then we're going to grill in the evening and we're going to drink beer from beginning of the day to the end of the day. And you're just going to, you know, you're going to say, you know, like nothing's going to happen today because I'm taking the day off to watch throwball. And you can't really do that with MLS anymore because they've moved all the games to the nighttime and they've moved them all to being simultaneous with each other. Like they didn't spread the games out Friday, Saturday, Sunday. There's not a lot of midweek games, right? Like, I think to, to developing a fan base means like like letting folks like me watch Chicharito, you know, on Sunday, um, it, which actually happened last week, which was great, um, and other things like that. But but I don't I don't know. Um, the other piece of news I wanted to just add to this conversation because it adds kind of a third dimension or or a fourth dimension to it is. The announcement that an, an Egyptian billionaire named Mansoor is set to pay a $500 million expansion fee 
to um, to buy a franchise in San Diego, the 30th franchise of MLS, which is pretty interesting because one, the rumored next franchise was going to be Las Vegas, and two, the franchise price just jumped from $300 million to $500 million. Um, and that's back to this conversation about the math, the funny math of MLS, which is the question of, do we really care whether ML, uh, Apple is making money on the TV revenues when the league is making so much incredible money on their expansion fees? And more importantly, every owner in the league is giddy with joy at the fact that their franchises are de facto worth $500 million. I mean, Mansoor is buying, is, is paying $500 million, and what he gets is the right to have a name and a team in MLS. He has no players. He has no stadium. He has no staff. He has no branding. He doesn't have colors. He doesn't have a kit. He has For $500 million, he has the right to then spend more money to get all of those things. By comparison, every MLS team in the league already has more than Mansoor does, meaning you could make an argument that some MLS teams are worth less than $500 million, but not much less. I mean, and the reality is if it comes with property and 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 history and a kit and so on it's probably worth more than 500 million dollars anyways my point is um i'm not really worried about the finances of mls or apple um i do think you're completely right matt uh apple has been trading on potential future growth that hasn't quite happened and by the end of the tv deal they may discover that it still hasn't happened and that they may have felt like they overpaid but You've got to overpay for the potential, and Apple had to overpay because they'd never done professional sports before. This was like a whole, they had to start a whole division for this, and they had to, you know, bootstrap from, from the get-go. So, I don't know, I'm, I'm not worried. I'm not worried about my retirement, Matt, although I do, as a rabbi, think that in the event that my retirement isn't very good, I will just be a rent-a-rabbi on the road, as was called an interim, in far-flung places like Huntsville and Saskatoon and, you know, Bakersfield uh, till till I get my retirement squared away. Rabbi, you don't want to come back to Steamboat Springs? Come back to Colorado? Oh, uh, that'd be so nice. That would be really good. I don't know if the wife will come, but but uh, but yeah. No, the job of an interim, really quickly, the job of an interim is to serve as the sorbet between courses of other rabbis. You like, you're literally like Crash Davis. You just show up, you, you do a thing for a couple months, they overpay you and then they they pay you to leave like they really they don't want to fall in love with you they want you to they want you to move along so that's my that's roughly my retirement plan either that or writing another book but uh we'll see rabbi thank you because i was just thinking the other day it's been too long since we've had a Moneyball or a uh or a bull durham nice. reference here on the podcast but speaking of Moneyball, listeners it's officially one of the several mls uh holidays as far as Love i am it. concerned as the mls players association today released the preliminary um player salaries for the 2023 mls season you can go check it out on mlspa.org i have screenshots of it over um, on Burgundy Waves Twitter account as well. Um, and then there's also, I think somebody posted it in the Colorado Rapids discussion Facebook group as well. So we're not going to read out all of those numbers for you because that would get a little bit redonkulous. But Mark, just to go over, I'll uh, we'll start with, I'll, I'll just read off the new Rapids players, Mark, um, 
So we have Kevin Cabral making $1.8 million. Uh, this is all guaranteed compensation, folks, not base salary. Mm-hmm. Worth pointing out, Rabbi, I heard from a club source earlier today that these are the player salaries based on MLS as a whole and aren't necessarily reflective across the board of salary components that other teams are picking up. So for Kevin Cabral, remember, that's 50%. The LA Galaxy are paying for this year. Uh, Gustavo Vallecia, half of his wages are being picked up by Columbus Crew, who have him on loan and then Danny Leva the Rapids are just covering the cap up to the maximum amount for a supplementary roster MLS player but then the Rapids did send what the I think 90 92 thousand dollars in general allocation money to Seattle to account for Seattle absorbing part of that salary that then allows the Rapids to have him on the supplementary roster spot so you take all of that into account Mark uh, based on what the athletic or I'm sure um uh, the Washington Post is going to put an article based on who has the most uh, in player salaries based on the fact that the Rapids have several players whose salaries are being partially picked up by other teams as well. I think that knocks them down a peg or two in terms of that hierarchy. But Kevin Cabral, $1.8 million. Andreas Maxu, DP center back, is at roughly $1.3 million. Mm-hmm. If I go down the list further, Connor Ronan, Mark, just over half a million dollars. Um, Brian Galvan, can't remember if he's on his new U22 deal or not. He's at four hundred and sixty-two k. And then we move on to uh, Marco Ilicha is currently on uh, 383k. Now, Mark, that is probably... That is probably based on maybe his first half because he's only here on a loan. That is probably just how much the Rapids are paying him for the first half of the season. So in theory, double that for the calendar year. I'll try to get that confirmed, dear listeners. Um, uh, Max Alves, Mark, now is now in dead money on the cap for the Rapids, just over 300k. Danny Leva, uh, 225. But again, subtract the 92. But the Rapids are effectively covering that with the gam they sent over to Seattle. Mike Edwards, who is on a new deal, Mark, if I remember correctly, is on 125. Um, and then let's see who else is there. Calvin Harris is on 113. Darren Yappi, I don't think that's new, but he's at just over $96,000 a year. Moist Bombito on his Generation Adidas money is at 86. And then uh, we still have um, I still have Colin Warner technically on the books, Mark, at 85K. Mark, do you know what Colin, Wa- Colin Warner was doing uh, with Rapids 2 on Sunday? Uh, coaching? He is a, he is an interim assistant head coach. One of nice. the staff members <clears throat> left midseason. Uh, Colin Warner, uh, I was told uh, by a member of the club, is not a candidate and is not uh, potentially interested in being that position long term. But the Rapids are technically paying him until somebody picks him up off waivers. So you might as well have him around, right? So he's making himself oh. useful. So that's good. Mark, you updated your spreadsheet. You are the one who has all this documented and thinking about what stands out to you on the Excels. Yeah, um, I love this spreadsheet, uh, and I, the way that I've uh, formulated it over the time is to really look at the overall budget charginess of the team, but also to kind of look at the individual players to see the raises. Um, the the only so there's a couple things that stand out. Thing one that stands out is the team increased its overall salary budget for players significantly over previous years. Now you can make the argument that. Um, Kevin Cabral's salary and Andreas Maxu's salary really are the big ones that kind of bump that up. But um, it, nonetheless, uh, the 
average salary in 2022, according to my records, was, um, hang on, uh, $310,881. This year, that's $394,255,000. A salary increase, an overall increase on the average player of $83,000, right? That's almost, uh, tw- that's roughly a 25% increase on on salary. Uh, that's a really big increase uh, over pe- previous years, and that's really interesting to see. Um, another thing that's notable, f- similarly, um, is that Lala Sabubakar had a huge increase, uh, 158% increase on his salary. He jumped from a 2022 contract of 272000 to a 2023 contract of $702,000. That actually makes him a TAM level player. The team would have to pay down his salary by about $51,000 in order to get him under the cap. Um, But the interesting thing is there are no other players like him. In past years, the Rapids have had a couple of guys who were in the salary year and they had a big, big expansion. There were no Rapids players who year over year got a big salary increase. Increase. Um, the only players who got quote-unquote big salary increases are players who were not on our books at all in the past. Um, Alex Gersbach, uh, Kevin Cabral, Andreas Maxu, for example. Um, other notable things, um, this I thought was my personal favorite thing, the number of Rapids injuries has led to a quirky thing that in my nine years of nerdy spreadsheeting I've never seen before. Usually the Rapids are doing their darndest to make sure that they can squeeze players into the cheap spots by hook or by crook. This And those are what's called the supplemental, the reserve, and the reserve minimum salary slots, which are basically roster spots 21 through 30. Um, This year, the Rapids actually have both so many injuries and so many young players that they've pulled up from either Rapids 2 or in Leva's case, um, that they actually have a all 10 slots of reserve players full, and they actually have an 11th player who's basically getting paid at or is costing the team at the full senior roster level. Now, what I mean by that is players on your supplemental roster. So, for instance, Ralph Prizzo, who makes 89000 um, because he is a homegrown player or counts as a homegrown player, and because he's on the supplemental roster, his salary does not count against the cap. Um, the Rapids actually have one guy uh, more than they they need who's eligible for like that level of salary relief, but they're not taking it because they don't have any more slots in the bottom 10. They just have to put that guy into what's called the senior roster. Um for this is probably not correct because these things change all the time. For simplicity's sake, I called that guy Mike Edwards, which means that Mike Edwards is on the roster, uh, you know, at one twenty-five, even though he doesn't really have to be. So um, he's really probably effectively either he or whoever else is on the senior roster is going to be getting the minimum, roughly the minimum budget charge. But what that means is the Rapids are, you know, comfortably under the overall required budget charge, the total contract, uh, the total salaries of all the Colorado Rapids players this year is $13.1 million. Um, That is a significant raise over 2022 when the um, total salary was $7.2 million. The um, 
what I call the total roster spend, which is my made-up number, which is the MLS salary cap, the possible GAM spending, um, and all other mechanisms of salary relief, um, is $9.8 million, and the Rapids are spending about $9 million in charged budget. So they, if these numbers are never right, because it doesn't account for transfer fees and other um, hidden fees that the Rapids don't disclose. But roughly, my math would indicate that the Rapids may have about $800,000 uh, to spend if they wanted to at um, midseason. Um, that's probably not literally right, but it's probably close to right in the sense that um, uh, it generally indicates that the Rapids have money to spend at midseason. So those are a few of my interesting observations. The other one other thing I was going to say before I forget it, not that interesting, but something notable. In past years, I've done the math on these tables and I've noted that often players, older players who are um, getting a new contract will get a, a salary cut, right? Like Drew Moore is a great example. He actually took a pay cut. Um, Stephen Betashore took a pay cut a couple years ago. Um, there are no players on the Rapids this year who took a pay cut. Every single guy is either making the same as they made last year or is making more. And actually, there were a number of players who I was surprised to see got paid the exact same amount as they got paid last year. So Keegan Rosenberry was on 400. He's still on 400. Jonathan Lewis was on 435. He's still on 435. Cole Bassett was on 450. He's still on 450. Michael Barrios was on 680. He's still on 680, right? Like, that was really interesting to me that, like, the Rapids zeroed out a bunch of contracts and said, you're going to have a couple years where you get no raise. So, you know, I don't think they're worried about it. I don't think uh, all of the talk in the American economy around inflation is really going to hit a guy like Michael Barrios, who makes 680. But, you know, I mean, if they were hoping that uh, that they were going to save on, uh, they were going to get a small, like, uh, cost of living increase, they did not get one this year. Yeah, so uh, interesting stuff there, Mark. And a lot of this, folks, is kind of built into where contracts will actually like slightly grow over time, either to account for that or like as part of like bonuses and doubling out. So to Rabbi's point, very, very rarely, even if the contract stays the same, even if it's like guaranteed dollars and there's not a player option or big bonus or something, very rarely do you see year to year a guy actually take a pay cut that is not them renegotiating that contract down specifically to agree to a pay cut and then probably a longer term deal so a slight increase of like five to ten percent is not uncommon especially for a guy who's going from one guaranteed year to another guaranteed year by the um, way the lowest paid guy on the roster is anthony Marcanic. he's he's been starting at left back for the rapids repeatedly the last couple of weeks so my my plea to all of you colorado rapids players who listen to this podcast dedicatedly every single week is man don't let that guy pay for dinner make sure anthony Marcanic steaks are on the house and he's only oh he is 23 years old so you can take him out for drinks if you want in in, the, in commerce city or you know around glendale or wherever you want to go so you know make sure anthony Marcanic doesn't buy his own drinks Rabbi, I do have a strong suspicion based on a few. There's been a few interactions with players where they have brought up something understanding of what I've only said on the pod. So I do have a strong suspicion that we do have some some players lurking maybe in our subscribers or just occasionally listening to an episode nice. once a month. Um, and Diego Rubio, we know you're lurking right now and you're probably listening to us right now with a microphone that you have embedded in both of our respective podcasting areas because you want to hear all this stuff. Hola, senor. Muchas gracias por tu escucha 
a, 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 a nosotros. That is not good Spanish, but it's what I remember from high school. Mark, I think we can agree that the jury is still out on Kevin Cabral, so I don't know that we're ready to judge whether or not we think that what the Rapids are paying the 900k for this year. So from a Rapids payout standpoint, Cabral being the second highest paid player, according to the numbers released today, the highest paid player on the Rapids. Rabbi, I think we can agree. Have we seen enough to where we believe Andreas Maxu will be worth the 1.3 mil? Yes or no? It's a lot of money for a center back, and it's really hard to evaluate what you expect at that level, at that level of pay. But I'm okay with it. I mean, I, w- I was thrilled that the Rapids kind of zig when the rest of the league zagged and went with a DP center back. Um, I, I think he's been solid, but unspectacular in the sense that, like, not that we were surprised by this, but, like, he still mostly gives the ball to Danny Wilson to direct traffic out of the back. You know, he's Danny Wilson is still hitting the big switch and the long passes. Um did I expect him to win Defender of the Year for the, his money? No, I just needed him to have a good, solid, above-average year in MLS, and I think he's having it. Um, and I hope he can grow into the job and stay. Um, you know, and I also hope that the salary doesn't go up too much over the course of his uh, couple years in Commerce City. He's signed, according to my records, through 2025. Mm-hmm. And then just a couple other numbers that I wanted to bring up, Mark, because really the last couple of years, like the Rapids have not had a bad contract really on the books That's in terms right. of tur value, or if they have had a bad contract, it was one that they easily could have gotten out of. Like, Mark, there's a part of me that wonders how much of what Porrick Smith has done in the Robin Frazier era from a roster standpoint is just knowing that when he assumed the interim GM role at the club and everything, like this was, so Mark, this was the, the this was the Eigner sit down pre-Eigner game 2017 so like the rapids way i think would have just come out within the month pablo Mastroeni was had been fired maybe that week i'd have to go back and check my calendar and he was talking about on the record saying the you know end of 2019 both of our dps come off the books and then those dp slots open up and this was talking in 2017 mark about skel shingashi and tim howard being being lame ducks and dead money on the team that were not for value for what the club was paying them and everything right. and so i think say what you will about the rapids being um being frugal and everything mark they have not they've yet to take a big swing knowing that it was a risky big swing and then been just hamstrung completely financially as a result of that so rabbi i think we can agree now with where michael barrios is making about 700k this year and i think that was great his first year i think we know he's a super sub he can still be extremely effective we're now seeing the gradual decline of michael barrios and just every single year that the club keeps him or keeps Keeps him at that number. I don't know that he's returned value on that. I'd say the same thing about Brian Acosta at mm-hmm. 732, who I thought really was just not a panic buy given how much they had to give Dallas in order to get him, but absorbing that contract when he was a DP at Dallas and he's not a Kellen Acosta equivalent and everything. He's a little bit more limited. There will come a time when renewing Brian Acosta is a significant downgrade in his pay for and will be comparable to the value that he's bringing the club and I'll be relieved by that or relieved by when a younger player is able to unseat him and Brian Acosta isn't costing the Rapids 736k a year and then I did forget Mark one new player Alex Gershbach at 270 I think that's probably value for what we've seen for him Mark and maybe comparable to what he was getting in France I think it's worth pointing out listeners given how much the MLS salary budget has grown in everything gone are the days of a guy making 250 300k that's not a starter for you and that being a big deal i remember um 
not Dylan Cerna, Rabbi, who was it? Dylan Powers. Powers and sure. I think he was on 330, 360K his last year with the club before he was traded to Orlando, if I remember correctly. And just Rapids fans being just so disappointed in him and just like, this is dead money. This is a horrible contract. We're not getting value. Is he bad? Is Pablo bad? Should Pablo get fired? Is Dylan Cerna washed, or excuse me, is Dylan Powers washed and all that kind of talk and everything? You can have a guy making 300K just like as a situation situational super sub and that's not really a big deal so Gershbach at 270k for what I think we wanted him to be Mark is not that bad obviously he's not even making the 18 right now so that's kind of a disappointment but Nicholson at 360 as like a vibes utility guy right now because the Rapids don't have fullback depth and everything and chipping in with a couple goals and assists I'm honestly fine with yeah uh and then the the big hit right now Rabbi depending on what the Rapids want to do this summer Jack Price who's out for the year at 832 Okay, there is we talked um a few weeks ago, listeners, or the pod right after Pricey got hurt about the options the Rapid have that would free up some money, a senior roster spot, and then also free up some budget space as well that they could use that. And then the other big one for me right now, Mark, in terms of dead money is Max at three thirteen K. I got it confirmed last week, Rabbi, when all that news came out. Max is at the moment technically on paid administrative leave. Sure. The, the word suspended is not how I would use to describe where he's <laughs> at right now. And um, Semantics. Listeners, do not expect the Rapids or anyone at the club to comment specifically on the Brian Galvan situation specifically. There were two decent comments, Mark, from Connor Ronan and Robin Frazier on Saturday in the postgame about the Max News possibly affecting the game, and they downplayed it, and I think that's overall fair. Things happened in that game that were far more significant in the final result and in the final couple minutes and everything there, but nobody's going to comment specifically on any of the investigations until everything's done. Obviously. Obviously, he hasn't been charged yet. I have heard, Mark, he's either planning or could already be traveling back to Brazil to deal with that particular situation. But until that gets <laughs> resolved, and I assume if he's if there's an investigation he's found of wrongdoing, there's some loophole in the contract that would allow the Rapids to void his contract. For until sure. then, they're still on the hook for that money. And Mark, let's be real, that you know the MLS isn't comping them the one million they paid to get him. Yeah, I'll just say really quick off of the point you made about Acosta and Barrios. Um, yeah, they're they're paid a lot of money to be bench players. Um, Acosta, I think more so than Barrios, doesn't give you a ton of value because he's just not that dynamic in midfield. He's basically uh, a six, and he's not particularly mobile, but he's a good six. Um, uh, Barrios, you know, I wrote about him a couple weeks ago and crowed about his statistics although with small sample size it looks like the guy is you know gonna uh, outproduce um expectation by a ton but that's because of small sample size but that being said like i've been very happy with barrios and the other thing is both acosta and barrios are in a contract walk year Uh, they their contracts according to my records expire at the end of the year so the fact that they're getting a lot of money is because you always are overpaying players if you pay for a three- or four-year contract. You're always overpaying them in that last year, especially the older players, right? Tim Howard, in his final year in MLS, was it, it would look like a horrible contract, but that's because you were paying Tim Howard in 2018 for what he did for the team in 2016, right? Like, that's a reality. So Barrios is a little bit like that, and Acosta is a little bit like that. So, But they're not terrible contracts, right? You're like... You'd rather pay Acosta or Barrios 400000 
for what they're doing for us this year. So you're paying seven hundred thousand. Like it's not breaking the bank, and it's still well within um, the the salary cap. And you know they're both ta- so-called TAM players, but only barely, right? Barrios is over the cap hit is twenty eight thousand. Acosta's is eighty thousand. You know, so it's it's not really hammering the Rapids and keeping them. Um, from being able to acquire other players more or less. Um, so we'll see. I mean, I I, I think that all we really need to say out of this is there are no bad contracts. We're not we're not hamstrung or or bound uh, and unable to acquire more players at the um, at the midseason gap. And the question is like, who will we get, and will we be able to really splurge? Will will the team be? Uh, you know, a buyer or a seller in July. And we don't know yet. We'll see. Rabbi, we're almost 40 minutes into this podcast and we're still technically on the banner topic. That's what we do. um, This is why you subscribe to Holding the High Line with Rabbi and Red Keegan Rosenberry so you can listen to us (laughs) breaking down the finances of the Rapids in absolute minutia and detail. Listeners, this past Saturday at Dick's Sporting and Spark, the Colorado Rapids lost 2-1 to the Philadelphia Union. Kevin Cabral with a nice opportunity denied by Andre Blake in goal seven minutes in. Some good work from Lewis and Rubio to set that up. Rubio draws a penalty on 35 minutes, getting fouled by the center back low. Initially, it was called just outside of the box. Uh, referee goes to the monitor with the help of VAR and determines that the foul took place inside the box. Connor Ronan, top left corner, the Danny Rojas, um, you know, Earl the dog corner to make it 1-0 on 38 minutes. But then Kai Wagner with an absolute laser, just with a little bit of space and some poor um, marking and spatial awareness with Lawless a little bit, Lawless Abubakar a little bit too deep in the first minute of first half stoppage time. Philly comes out of the blocks in the second half and seven minutes into the second half score 2-1 in transition. McGlynn winning the ball back in midfield. Great long ball to Mbizo who then crosses it back to the late arriving Carranza who picks out the far bottom corner to make it 2-1. And then Mark Philly kind of shuts up shop and Kai Wagner takes forever with um, <clears throat> taking his corners. Impressive. and. And Philly has ticky-tack fouls, and Rivas lets things go. It was very clear to me, Mark, in the opening minutes when there was a really hard tackle by Ali Bedoya on Anthony Markanich that he was going to let the uh, teams play in terms of physicality. And Philly took that to uh, be obstructive, to take long delays, take long delays with their corners, with their substitutions, with their goal kicks, eventually with a player taking his time getting off the field as well after he was red-carded. Rubio with a nice shot and then Lewis in transition in the 62nd minute and Kevin Cabral given a yellow um, thanks to a Oscar nominating performance from Andre Blake there with no contact and then all crap breaks loose Mark uh, two minutes seven minutes <laughs> I can't remember it was in stoppage time there was a long ball to Barrios he doesn't get to it it goes out for a goal kick him with a slight two-handed shove on um Andre Blakemark, who is much taller and I'm going to assume weighs more than Michael Barrios. He goes down and then the two Philly center backs decide to get it in with Barrios. And then it's basically a line brawl in the corner right by the goal from everybody else. Um, eventually, uh, Galvan comes in to protect uh, his fellow Loco de los Rapids. And Bueno, Jose Jesus Bueno, wrestles him away. That results in like him as Galvan is going after. It's either Elliot or Glessness. I can't remember, Mark, because they look exactly 
exactly the same. And so it ends up that Bueno throws Galvan, who was holding on to the Philly center back, that results in um, Galvan, like, rugby tackling that guy to the ground and everything. They wrestle up, a bunch of hands in the face on Bueno and everything. Galvan pulls down the shirt of Bueno, spits on his chest and everything. Um, Ultimately, I think three yellow cards are handed out to the Philly center backs and to Barrios. Galvan given a straight red card. And then after VAR in a dead game that was blown for the full-time whistle immediately after that, Bueno also given a red card. Uh, Mark, I'll throw it. Uh, I'll go first. My good thing is Ronan's penalty, and literally that's it. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I my good thing was, um, you know, I thought the Rapids matched up pretty well with Philly. I think, uh, I wouldn't say maybe Matt's forgetting, because I don't think Matt forgets anything, but you know, uh, the last time we faced Philadelphia, Matt, we lost six to nothing and we got hammered and we couldn't defend to save our lives. Um, I think especially in the first 45 minutes, the Rapids went nose to nose with Philly and, and looked really solid against a team that's been in the upper echelon of MLS for the last two years. So that's my good thing. Um, you know, we, we look at, we look comfortable and at home um with every team we play we don't feel we don't look outplayed by vastly outplayed by anyone matt what's your bad thing uh i've got several i'll start with <laughs> the the rapids got punked like i mentioned yeah. earlier rabbi the <clears throat> Uh, the ref decided and made it clear very early that he was going to let them play. I think that plays into Philly in terms of just stylistically who they are as a team. It played into how they approach the game coming on the road after open cup disappointment, CCL disappointment, coming here to get a result. And the Rapids, rather than adjusting to that, just kind of got frustrated and ultimately let their emotions get the best of them. And we saw this last season when things didn't go particularly well, when they felt the officials were against them and everything. There response was to just get really frustrated. Mark, the Rapids absolutely missed Jack Price being on the field and just telling Maul Sabubakar, Brian Galvan, everybody else, guys, it's just poopy, to quote Jamie Tart and everything. And it's just poopy. And then, Mark, I was on a, I was <clears throat> on Jason Longshore's show, who is the radio broadcaster for Atlanta United as well. And I kind of mentioned, and I didn't realize this until I talked myself into it when I was speaking to him yesterday or Monday morning, is that I don't think the Rapids do well adjusting to game states relative to their opponent or goals scored, particularly at home regardless of <clears throat> who is the one scoring the goal. You know, the rapid score, they're up a penalty, you know, a score on a penalty and everything. I'm not sure that they fully deserved it. I don't I don't know at that point in the game they deserve to be up 1-0, but Philly responds, they get a goal before halftime. They go in you figure, okay, it's 1-1, we were up 1-0 and everything, really need to come out in the second half, take it to Philadelphia Union, get a goal, get a home win finally, and Philly comes out and they're the better team. And you didn't even really see the response until, you know, the 60th, the 65th minute with some of the substitutions. I thought the only sub who really did a whole lot on the field, on the pitch and everything was Brian Galvan in terms of trying to turn the tide of the game. He ultimately had the most significant contribution of, of the five substitutes that the Rapids had. And I just, I didn't see a sense of urgency or a sense of just like impetus to try and get back into the game. And then even then the execution was just really poor and played into Philly being a tough team to break down defensively and you not doing enough in order to do that. And that was disappointing. Mark, I think the... 
I don't have the stat in front of me, but I remember looking at it. I, I think it was like 1.4 XG that the Rapids ended up having at the um, at, by the end of the game and everything. And obviously, you know, 0.78, I think 0.8 roughly of that is the penalty. You know, uh, Mark, just increasingly... The Rapids have had good performances where they massively dominate opponents in expected goals, and then they just don't finish. But, you know, just having, what, less than, uh, I'll say comfortably less than three quarters of a goal in terms of expected goals from the run of play and everything is just not good enough at this point in the season with where they're at and what they need to achieve in terms of their home games. Um and then, Rabbi, we also had, uh, did you see the news from the disciplinary committee this week? I did not. Oh, so that news came out today. So Brian Galvan was fined an undisclosed amount for having been determined. Uh, he did not leave the field in an orderly and prompt manner after getting red carded. So he was assessed a undisclosed fine. And then the Rapids got their second warning of the year in terms of mass confrontation and encroachment on the official. And then so the club and Robin Frazier have both been assessed a um, a undisclosed fine as well. And then the three Rapids players who were found guilty of that mass confrontation were given undisclosed fines as well and i have that right here it was william yarbrough brian acosta and diego rubio as well mark we don't actually know how much that number is but i have to imagine it's probably like at least a hundred bucks it's probably no more than a thousand bucks and everything um and then oh, i thought some... it, yeah that's probably true but i was thinking higher actually so and then there were some fines for Philly players that I don't know are relevant for us as a podcast, Mark. But so um, and then just to highlight a few other notes that I had from the game on Saturday, looking at my notebook here. I thought Danny Levo was pretty poor just in terms of passing. Robin Frazier kind of mentioned, Mark, that the Rapids were that fundamentally they needed to be stronger on the ball. And if they were more composed emotionally and then stronger on the ball, it would have been a better state. And I thought Ronan was OK. I thought Danny Levo was pretty poor. And I thought that Diego Rubio, after giving up the penalty to Connor Ronan, we got it pretty much confirmed, Mark, that um, Rubio let Connor take the penalty. Robin Frazier said post game that he'd never seen Connor take a penalty. So, Mark, wow. maybe this is a maybe this is a worldly Harris works with some guys after training or when other guys are done and works with the backup goalkeepers to work on that. And maybe it was kind of a situational thing. I would not read into this, folks, as Diego Rubio was benched or punished punished for having missed that penalty against Vancouver. Connor's been on good form. He's been goal dangerous with the three assists that he got against the LA Galaxy. And, you know, I, I don't, I'm not, Mark, I'm not going to read into, oh crap, what does this mean for Diego Rubio's psyche? Because I don't care who takes the penalty. You convert it like that on Andre Blake and everything. Like, Danny Wilson can take the penalties for all I care if that's what you're going to do with it. So, yay on that note. But, you know, after that, I felt that Rubio was really selfish on the ball, taking shots for himself when they could have done a little bit more. The attack was just jointed, Rabbi, and how much of that was their emotions, how much of that was Philly seeing the game out is a valid question. Rabbi, your bad things. I I mean, I just thought, you know, to it almost un, is the is the I'm almost underscoring or taking the reverse side of the coin of the thing that I said as my good thing, which was I thought Philly outclassed them. I mean, I thought that they would look like a better team. And that is because I think Philly is a better team. I mean, I think that the talent on the field, the guys who scored, you know, Carranza and Kai Wagner are really excellent players. And Wagner's goal was a thing of beauty. And I can't remember the last time any Rapids left-footed player did something like that at all. Like, 
I don't remember. Like, I have to go, I'm going way back years and years ago since I've seen a shot or a play like that. It was really a thing of beauty. If you haven't seen the clip, uh, go back and watch Kai Wagner bang it in. And um, the cutback pass from, I think it was Mabizo to, um, to, um, to Carranza for the goal was also a thing of beauty. You know, when Philly is in flow and when they're connecting, they're really, really tough to stop, and they um, fill spaces and cut lines really, really well, and they did it against the Rapids. They made it – we often, as the fans of the Rapids, um, focus on what Colorado doesn't do well and the mistakes they make. But to somehow, I don't know why my eye watched the game this way, but I was just watching Philly shift into space and deny the Rapids um, how they made it really difficult for them. Colorado still had some nice chances. I mean, Cabral's shot in the sixth minute was not only a good chance, but it was also a, a play unlike any I'd seen him do in that he kind of ran on and posted up inside the box, received the ball, turned, and took a very dangerous shot. So, And he also, in the 30-something minute, was, was involved in a play where he was the passer that got it back to... Um, to uh, Rubio for the shot. So Cabral had a good game, and that was, you know, I'm, I'm not playing by your rules, Matt. You asked for a bad thing, and I'm I'm here giving good things again. But, like, we were outclassed, we were out-talented, um, and it was at home. Those are all bad things. Uh, just moving on to my big things, Mark, that I'll cover. Um, one thing that I kind of noticed, I tried to submit a pool reporter question. There were some procedural issues because Pro changed some stuff, and I'm not going to get into that further on the podcast. But we've seen Mark Pro take more seriously protecting goalkeepers when they're in a defenseless position, particularly when they are on the ground or going to ground. And so... I the curiosity I have with the way that they legislated that was did they view that just the fact that Cabral chased down a hopeless ball that Blake was always going to get to and rather moving to the side had you know opened up an opportunity for there to be contact with him jumping over him and that warranted procedurally a yellow card in the same way that you know I go in for a slide tackle Mark studs up and everything and just because you happen to dive out does not take away the perceived intent or endangerment that I go towards you, and that is worthy of a foul, a yellow card in some instances in past laws in previous iterations of the laws of the game by FIFA would even be worthy of a red, even if there was no contact whatsoever. So that's a curiosity that I have. We've seen Kevin Cabral have little moments where he clips goalkeepers in the past mark and has gotten cards before and he actually got a straight red for one that was a really really harsh call if you ask LA Galaxy Twitter last year when he was with the G's so that's something that I haven't seen from him other than in that moment with Cabral that might have been that kind of stuff the replay clearly showed to me that there wasn't contact but you know Andre Blake made a meal of it and Andre Blake's gonna get calls like that in ways that you know, Clement Diop or Brian Rowe are not going to get. Um, and then just fundamentally, Rabbi, this is not a good home team right now. This loss ended the nine-game unbeaten streak, and these home performances and home results have really dampened that for me, <clears throat> you know, because we say nine games unbeaten in all comps, Mark, but let's be real now. It is wins against two lower division teams in cup competition, and then your other two wins are against two of the only three other teams worse than you, four, excuse me, so two of the worst teams in the Western Conference right now who are still bottom 
of the Western Conference. Those are the teams that you are supposed to beat. So it's mind-boggling for me and mind-boggling for Robin Frazier where the club's at right now in how they can perform well or and get results on the road, how they can have poor performances on the road and then see out to get draws, but then can't transition that into results at the home. And all of these, uh, I think I've said this in a few different ways on the pod the last couple of weeks, folks, is that all of this coming out and being the secondary team, letting the opponent dictate play, and then getting a draw in a game on the road where you were outplayed and then giving yourself a pat on the back. All of that is well and good, folks, as long as you come back and take care of business on the road. And this is a team that is not taking care of business on the road right now. And that's going to continue to be a problem. Um, and Mark, um, I'll, I won't, we don't have time for it, listeners, but head on over to Burgundy Wave. And I have a nice, you know, full transcript of a nice exchange uh, between Robin Frazier and Pat Radigan from Footy at 5280 um, about the players' emotions and how they handle officials and whether or not they could comport themselves in a different way, you know, acknowledge Pupe, but then also let that <laughs> drive them in a more positive way in ways that we saw they imploded last season. Listeners, we'll get to our preview of another Rapids double game week. But first, Rabbi, tell our listeners how they can best support independent journalism of our Colorado Rapids. Listeners, we love what we do here. There is nothing that I enjoy more in the evening than grabbing a little glass of sake, coming down to the basement, sitting with my best friend, Matt, and talking about things that we like to do, like complain about the Lakers or complain about the Rapids or crow about the Lakers or crow about the Rapids. But um, even still, we've got to kind of pay some bills sometimes, folks. So we are supported by you, our loyal listeners to this here podcast. We love doing it. We love following the Rapids, driving to training, flying to road games, interviewing players. We love spending our day off of our day jobs, writing soccer articles for Holy Highline Substack, but we also love to pay our rent and occasionally hoist a pint provided by our listeners as uh, a thank you for our efforts. So if you can, help us by subscribing to our Substack. You can become a paid supporter, a.k.a. a Highliner, by putting in just $5 a month or $42 a year. A yearly subscription will get you some discounted or free merch from us this year. A beer mug or stein design pending. I think actually, Matt, we've, I, I know what I think the, the design is going to be for our pint classes. And I have a couple of weeks off in June, so I can be the shipping department for holding the Highline Media Limited. Are we? Are, did you? Did you accidentally walk us into Mark officially launching the the merch of the year? I think we're. I, I mean, I, I unless, with your approval, Matt. I mean, we 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 talked about uh, talking. We've talked about talking about what the merch is going to be for like a year now. I think we've talked about it enough. We should probably just send out some merch. All right, it's a beer glass. It's coming in June, folks, possibly <laughs> sooner. Um, and uh, de- details to come on the actual finalization yeah. of the design. Because many house, of you, I have a house graphic designer, and I know what I want it to look like. So I just need to get her to do it. And, you know, I just need to give her a fifty dollar gift card to Bed Bath and Beyond before they go out of before Bed Bath and Beyond becomes Bed Bath and Beyond in bankruptcy. Um, anyhow, so. Uh, You'll also get some for your contribution to us, some behind-the-paywall articles. You'll be supporting citizen soccer journalism, and we appreciate it. Back to you, Matt. Uh, listeners, this coming uh, Wednesday, so tomorrow. Tomorrow, um, so or today, we'll, we'll, if you're we'll listening be... to this at the time, I think you probably are. We'll be brief on the Atlanta preview, folks, because uh, there's a decent chance you are listening to this after the fact, and this conversation is outdated. Moot! Um, 
Colorado Rapids uh, taking on Atlanta United at the Benz on Wednesday, May 17th, 2023. 5.30 kickoff for us locally here, Mark. That's one thing that's kind of nice about playing Eastern Conference teams and everything. Rabbi, you don't have to stay up till midnight digesting the Colorado Rapids. And the only reason I do is because I'm on deadline and Robin Frazier takes his time in media availability. Rapids currently 10th in the Western Conference, folks. Uh, they One spot below the playoff line, 12 points off of 12 games played. Uh, they have a record of two, four, and six, and a goal difference of negative four this season. Atlanta currently fourth in the Eastern Conference, 18 points off of 12 games played, a record of five, four, and three, and a neutral goal difference. And we'll do this now, anyways, Rabbi. Um, you know that club from you know down the mountain. Um, is 11th in the Western Conference. They've got 11 points and um, on 11 games played, a record of 3, 6, and 2, and a negative 10 goal difference. And away from their um, America First Stadium, they are 1, 3, and 1. Atlanta at home this year at the Benz are 4, 1, and 1 in MLS play. Mark, I look at Atlanta United and they look to be getting closer to who they are as a club or as we've known them previously. Tiago Almada is absolutely fantastic as their number 10, you know, home run signing of a designated player and absolutely a player who should be up for M- MLS MVP, assuming he isn't sold for, you know, Miguel Almarone level money in the offseason. A little bit of a rotating cast um, in the other attacking roles. There's been uh, Luis Rajo, who had a really nice goal streak as well. And then Georgios Yorokamakos, uh, Yoroko. Marcus, uh, he's Greek, I believe. Um, Caleb Wiley is their big kind of exciting fullback, wingback, uh, wide player. Um, Mark, who's a homegrown, normally playing on the left. Andrew Gutman is suspended for this game, just like Brian Galvan, folks. Uh, so I have to imagine Wiley will be in a more defensive role in a back four rather than an advanced role as the left winger in a 4-2-3-1. Bit of a rotating cast in the midfield mark. Um, Franco Ibarra is their equivalent to Michael, um, to uh, Brian Acosta, though he's much, much younger. Um, and then, of course, at um, in the back as well, defensively, they've got Brooks Lennon, who's one of the best right backs in MLS domestically for me, and Riles Robinson, Rabbi, who had he not uh, gotten his Achilles injury, ACL, can't remember what it was, he would have been in Qatar probably starting and would have prevented Tim Ream from being a last call up. He is a fantastic center back. Um, and then Brad Guzon, folks, had been coming back from an injury that he sustained last year. I was told by Jason Longshore when I spoke with him uh, for that radio bit for Atlanta that he is back and fully training but Jason felt that he said that he'd be surprised if uh, Brad was ready to go by this game on Wednesday so it will probably be Quentin Westberg former Toronto FC backup in goal for the five stripes Rabbi, this is a tough game. Uh, the Rapids normally go to Atlanta and play poorly and get dominated and ultimately end up losing. And Tiago Almada is a very, very good player who will be difficult for the Rapids to deal with defensively. How are you feeling about this match? I feel like it could be wrong about this, but I feel like the last time we went to Atlanta, we got a post-game conference that was punctuated by a certain manager saying we're fighting at the bottom with a bottom group of players. Trigger warning. Trigger warning, Rapids fans. That happened in Atlanta. So that's... That's what I'm thinking of. Um, Tiago Almada is all that in a bag of chips. If you have not watched an Atlanta game this year um, and you don't mind watching your own team get posterized by an exciting opponent, he is just electric. Um, he can do all the things. He's shifty and dribbly, uh, but he also can lay in a really, really tasty ball. Um, just a really wonderful player to watch. He's flanked often by um, a player, Luis Araujo, 
who Matt mentioned, who also, um, when he wants to turn on his razzle-dazzle, he really can. Um, he's also got the afterburners. He's got some, some pace on the right side. Um, and then, of course, USMNT stalwart Miles Robinson at center back. So this is a team that um, they're, they're missing. Some, they've got some big holes in some big spots, specifically at striker. Um, Miguel Berry is fine, but they've had to go with matchup Chol uh, a couple times the last couple weeks. I remember watching Chol, like, I think four years ago in Commerce City and thinking, who's this Jamoke? Like, this guy, this guy doesn't belong here, and he wasn't very good. Um, and now he looks good. He he actually seems to be kind of growing into it and having a little bit of capability here, um, which is quite nice. Um, Caleb Wiley, the 18-year-old, has also been really spectacular to start the year uh, as a young American. So um, it's, a, it's an interesting team. It's an exciting team. Um, I expect that this will be an L for the Rapids. Although that being said, um, Atlanta is coming off of four, count them, four losses in a row. So they've been um, scuffling as of late. And one of those losses, in addition, came at the hands of Memphis 901 in the Open Cup. So um, not only have they lost, they've lost to some mediocre teams. Memphis, by the way, a team that in the USL I picked for mid-table at best. Not a very good USL team. Still handled uh, a Atlanta team that was kind of on their butts. And the other thing that was... Uh, Notable, Matt, that you didn't mention is um, just this past week, uh, they gave up a no, it was against Miami. So it was uh, it was last week. Um, They gave up a goal to their former talisman striker, Joseph Martinez, on a PK. Um, Nothing like scoring a goal on your former team that released you uh, to go and have fun in the sun in Miami. So. That's a little bit about Atlanta. Um, uh, I I nailed my my prediction last week, Matt. So uh, I, is there any chance I'll I'll do it again? I'm gonna say Atlanta two Rapids nothing. That's what I'll say. Two nothing. I'm curious, Mark, how much squad rotation that Atlanta has in this one. Um, I'll take two one with a garbage goal for the Rapids in transition. You know, with Andrew Gutman out, Caleb Wiley being a little bit more forward in the attack, and maybe some question marks for me in goal for Atlanta, and maybe some squad rotation in the midfield to protect that back line and everything. I think there'll be opportunities in transition. But you know, I agree with you. Um, you know, I beware of the Rapids committing fouls that lead to direct free kick opportunities for Tiago Almada. That's those are absolutely going to be dangerous and um this is a game that i'm absolutely terrified for rabbi the um i'm gonna sound super cliche mark given what i just said about the rapids going for draws and being happy with draws and everything i'd be totally fine with a nil nil or a 1-1 in this one. And Mark, just as an aside here, Jason Maxwell brought up a really good point on Twitter the other day as well. The Philly game was really the start of a really difficult stretch for the Rapids. And so while we like that unbeaten streak, and again, a lot of it were draws on the road and everything, or wins against teams that you should expect to beat and everything. You know, it was Philly on the weekend. That was a loss. At Atlanta, obviously you've got the, um, you know, the two-leg series with RSL, first leg of the Rocky Mountain Cup in league play, and then the Open Cup round of 16. Then the last week in May, you've got... um, You've got the two Ohio teams, Cincinnati here at Commerce City and then at Columbus as well, both of whom are top five teams in MLS right now. And then you've got San Jose, who did just lose to the LA Galaxy, but are much, much improved on June 3rd. Mark, if on June 3rd, the Rapids are in a playoff spot and still in the Open Cup, bearing in mind the 
Open Cup game is happening. Uh, the Open Cup quarterfinal for the Rapids would be against the winner of El Trafico should they advance, and that'll be June 6th or 7th. So I'll say, Mark, if the morning of June 10th, which is Rapids at Orlando City, the Rapids are in a playoff spot or still in the Open Cup, I am absolutely ecstatic. If somehow they've done both of those as well, then Robin Frazier is pontificating that he said about the club trying to turn a corner and being really close to going on a good run, I, I think will have come true in everything. So that's something that I think, you know, this uh, uh, beware the Ides of May, Mark, and the beginning of June. They have not yet gone. Uh, and then listeners, coming up uh, this coming Saturday at the Richard, uh, the first leg of the Rocky Mountain Cup and one of at least four games the Rapids will play against Real Salt Lake, 7.30 p.m. local kickoff time there. Mark RSL, kind of struggling. If we're using the transitive property, the Rapids earlier this season got a nil-nil draw against LAFC, and RSL got shellacked over the weekend by a score of 3-0 at home against LAFC. Some noteworthy additions and changes that you have for uh, RSL, Mark, first of all, I should point out that uh, Demir Krylach is back in and around the team. He was hurt most of last season. I don't think he's played against the Rapids since 2021. Justin Glad in it, uh, center back again. Zach McMath, actually, Rabbi, has been starting pretty regularly there. Um, it's been uh, Brody at the right back position with Aaron Herrera off to Montreal. Ojeda and Ruiz uh, being really chippy midfielders that you have. And then a uh, uh, I would argue a very much utility team as far as the attack is concerned. Danny Musovsky, who's at this point a wandering striker in MLS. Uh, Severino, who's been out wide, Mark, you know, who's had some rumors about him going abroad. Rubio Rubin up top. I still think, no, Bobby Wood's not on this team anymore. Um, who is it that I'm forgetting about, Rabbi? Oh, Anderson Julio um, It was one of their big um you know, hyped up young guns that they have. And then also um, their other big um, young up-and-coming French striker is Bertin Jacquesson, uh, J-A-C-Q-U-E-S-S-O-N. It's just Jacquesson. He played He played for Pitt. Uh, I got to watch him here in Pittsburgh. He's a nice, oh. he's a nice guy. He's very talented. Um, little guy. Uh, very, very sprightly, quick, uh, nimble, technical. Good player. Um, Rabbi, I was... I was optimistic from a narrative and a writer's standpoint that last season towards the end showed that Pablo Mastroeni has evolved with what he was doing tactically with the 3-5-2, a little bit more nuanced stuff in terms of what the team was trying to do both in transition and possession. It kind of showed maybe that he actually learned some lessons based on just, you know, his very blunt instrument Pablo Ball, uh, Mastro Nacho that we would have seen. Um, you know, his last time with the Colorado Rapids, they're maybe in a little bit of a rough patch. Maybe Demir Krylach, you know, isn't fully elevating himself as well. Um, and maybe, you know, like I mentioned, they've got a lot of mostly young strikers and they're also relatively inconsistent. I'd argue Bobby Wood was the most reliable and consistent goal scorer they had last year. He's now off to New England. So maybe he's just kind of biding his time for them to figure it out in the same way the Rapids are trying to figure it out. But they're back to a 4-4-2 and they like counterattacking and everything. And it's really simple cookie cutter football and if you're a really good team like LAFC it is elementary for you to break this team apart that being said Mark 
we have known throughout this rivalry, whether the Rapids are up and RSL's down or it's vice versa, what is happening outside or in the table or in the spending and the roster build or the coaching situation and everything, that doesn't really matter when it comes to this rivalry. No matter the state and everything, pandemic and project restart notwithstanding, in the modern era, RSL owns this rivalry. And normally coming to Dick's Sporting Goods Park is a really good way for them to kickstart their season and get a draw and feel better about themselves and later in the year the Rapids head on over to Sandy Utah and get their butts absolutely whooped Mark I would sacrifice Mark how much of a loss how by how much of a goal difference in losing to Atlanta this week would you take to beat RSL Saturday or the what would you be willing what what are you sacrificing to Yahweh Mark on your um <laughs> you know on your satanic ritual sacrificial table in order to get two wins against RSL in the next nine days almost anything I mean uh, you know a, a beloved family pet uh you know the neighbor's cat um you know uh some of my favorite CDs. I would, I would, I would give up a lot because I really do like winning um, the Rocky Mountain Cup. I like taking the first leg of it. The one, the one point I wanted to make. I agree with everything you said, Matt. There's two things I've noticed about RSL both last year and this year. There's no soul to the team. There's not a. There's not a. There's not a tactical ethos, nor is there a talisman player. I mean, Krylach is 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 the one, but he's not surrounded by all the guys like Rusnak. Um, he's got Saverino uh, with him, but it just doesn't feel like this team has the right pieces around to kind of flow into space and create mayhem. The other thing that's really notable is there, there is, is almost the opposite of this, which is to say they look bad on paper because they have 10 goals for and 20 goals against. Those 20 goals against Matt overwhelmingly happened in three games. This is a team, RSL, who've matched up very well in most of the matches they've played and then have gotten absolutely shellacked three times this year. They have three losses, including this LAFC loss, by, by three to nothing. Then they have two other losses early in their season by four to nothing and four to nothing. So they've conceded 11 goals and scored zero goals in just three games. So that well, the other thing that, that tells you is this is a team that struggles with game states, right? They go down by a goal early and then they press to try and get back into things by throwing too many men too far ahead, and they don't defend themselves well in transition. So I think that that tells you tactically what the Rapids want to do, which is press early to get that first goal, um, and then let um, let RSL fall apart from there on out. So um, I think there's questions about squad rotation in Atlanta are important. Questions about how you're going to perform at home are important. Um, you know, the one thing you don't have with RSL is an advantage with the altitude because they're at altitude too. So, um, and it's, it's, it is exactly what you said, Matt. It's not about talent. It's not about tactics. It's a dogfight. These, uh, these teams hate each other um, and they will, hopefully with the influx of new players on both teams, they, the fans will still be able to, exhort them to demonstrate to them that um, this is a really special match and, you know, they should put in an extra effort for us. Yeah, I, I don't know that there's that much tactics going into this RSL game, or th that's not the important thing right now. I think Atlanta, it's going to be composure, limiting. It, it's what they do against Atlanta will be the same thing that, it, that has been needed in road games where they've gotten draws previously at Charlotte, at Vancouver, 
What's the other really good one I liked? Uh, at uh, Austin as well, Mark. And then this game is just going to be about like composure and seizing the moment. Like there's not a tactical nuance that I think is going to particularly break it down. I think the so much about this is just the mental hurdle of the, you know, the the cloud and the shroud and the mystique around this RSL team and everything. And if the Rapids can overcome that in ways that they did not overcome mentally, emotionally, and spiritually what happened on Saturday as well, then we'll be good. But, um, you know, Mark, uh, um, Robin Frazier, Dan Diego Rubio, um, you know, Pork Smith, we all know that you're listening to us right now. So, you know, Friday night, you guys are getting together, you know, Ted Lasso season one style and getting a big barrel and burning some sacrificial stuff out there on field 20. And you want me and Rabbi to show up and everything. Um, you know, Mark, I, I'm going to assume maybe probably, you know, some of your old scrolls of the Torah would be something you'd be willing to give up. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll bring my Mitrovich jersey and I will sacrifice that so that the Rapids can get a win in the home leg in the Rocky Mountain Cup and then advance to the uh, quarterfinals as well of the uh, Lamar Hunt U.S. Open Cup. Rabbi, anything else that we want to say? We've done a really good job of in like 35 minutes actually talking about all the soccer stuff, given we talked about the MLSPA uh, player salaries. But that's the fun stuff. We like, to, we like the roster stuff. We like the, we like the math. We're nerds like that. That's, that's our brand, baby. That's what, that's what the fans want to hear. Or maybe it's not, but it's what we want to talk about. Rabbi, you have a loss against Atlanta. I have a loss against Atlanta. I am going to also predict a loss against RSL. I will say a 2-1 barn burner, very similar to Philly. What you got, then let's get out of here. 3-1 Colorado Rapids. We're going to take it to RSL. We're going to get back to Cup this year, and we're maybe going to have a good week next week in the Open Cup. I'm, I'm very anticipatory. That's all I got for us. Matt, tell them about how to hit us on the socials and uh, how to write to us if you have any questions or burning desires that you'd like to unload upon us. Listeners, you can follow us collectively on Twitter at soccer underscore rabbi at LWS Matt Pollard and at Rapids 96 podcast. Check out all of our content, Rapids related. Otherwise, Pittsburgh soccer now, last word on sports.com backslash soccer, holding the highline substack, uh, holding the highline dot substack.com and burgundywave.com. You can get at us in long form by emailing us at Rapids 96 podcast at gmail.com. And if you want to ask us a question on Twitter, feel free to tag us and or use the hashtag AskHTHL. Listeners, we'll see you next week. I'm not sure what the audio quality is going to be like because we might be recording Mark off of a really crappy Wi-Fi in a hotel in Palm Springs and get to talk about hotel art as we prepare for RSL in the Open Cup and then FC Cincinnati on the weekend. We'll see you then. Our ongoing series in hotel art. Peace!